I'll be reading today from uh, the book of, of Paul's letter to the Galatians. We're going to pray that the Lord will especially hear this. Pray with me. Again, Father, you who take all our words and give life to them, and we especially ask uh, the words that I read. I pray for the Matt, our pastor Matt. The words he speaks will be translated to our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And be, be easy. This is a long reading. <laughs> I, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, we write to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and I now say again, if anyone, anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? <clears throat> or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please him, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. <clears throat> For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church, the church of God so violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had sent me apart, set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might reach him unto the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go to up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other disciples except James and the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. And then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. 
Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And, and I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, I set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might pre be preserved for you. And from those who seemed influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be the pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the uncircumcised. Only then they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This is the word of the Lord. Those plus threes, plus twos, maybe I could use them. calling this series the Not-So-Great Letters. Last year we looked at uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, um, and we learn a, a lot from the Not-So-Great Letters, and it's not that the letter is less important, but the circumstances surrounding the composition of the letter that are bad. If you're familiar with the letters of, of Paul and even from the New Testament, you'll see some of the strongest language here. In Corinth, he uses strong language because they were like, we have Jesus, and it doesn't matter how we live. And he's like, no. That's a great summary of Corinthians, by the way. In Galatia, the problem is very different. Um, people were coming in after Paul, proclaiming a non-gospel. And I love that Paul wrestles with his language, because in the first service I was wrestling with, how do I talk about this with clarity? Because a false gospel is actually a non-gospel. It's something that brings us further into bondage. It's something that does not give freedom. It's incredibly harmful to our souls. And the reason I went back and forth on, do we read maybe 10 verses of Galatians 1, or does everybody need to hear circumcised and uncircumcised multiple times? Do they need to know that Paul spent three years here and 15 days here, and then a few years later, or many years later here? And the reason that I wanted to read all of it is because it's all in the Scripture. It was all handed down 
over the decades by the churches until Christianity stopped being illegal, and then it was grouped into what we now call the New Testament, because the overlapping stories, the people, the spread of the good news was happening in real time. Our faith is in a a living God that we cannot see, but the beginning of that faith is rooted in history, in people, in specific times and places. And knowing that will fill you, maybe not fill you, will add to your confidence in the reliability of the text. There's no real debate about whether Paul wrote this letter or not. There are some letters that he wrote that some scholars debate whether he wrote them or not. There's no debate. All the people that study this believe that there was a man named Paul who was violently opposed to Christianity and then suddenly was its biggest, loudest, perhaps even uh, angriest supporter in language. He was persecuted physically and uh, emotionally and communally for changing his mind about this, and he wrote many of the letters that we now call the New Testament. And the question that that begs if you're reading this is, is it true? Is it true that Jesus is the Christ and that God raised him from the dead? Is it true that through that we're delivered from our sins and from the present evil age? Verse 4. The truth of that is not simply something, or not, not only something that we receive by faith. It's also something that's rooted in tradition that we can trace back to the first century and even before that. To real men and women who believed these things, met the risen Christ, were willing to go to prison and even to die because they would not say Caesar is Lord because of Jesus. And we notice that Paul calls God Father, and for us, that's not weird. We're not surprised by that, I think. Maybe you are. But the New Testament is full of references like that. But Paul, before Jesus uh, revealed himself to Paul, would never have called God Father. Because he's more familiar probably with the Old Testament than just about all of us combined. There are multiple pastors in the room, so maybe, maybe we could have done okay as a group compared to Paul in his knowledge of the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, God is only referred to as his father 16 times, and it's on behalf of the nation of Israel. But Paul spent three years relearning what he knew about God, relearning the Old Testament in light of Jesus, so now he easily calls God Father and connects the Father heart of God with the Jesus who revealed himself to him on the road to Damascus, which you can read about in the book of Acts. grace to us. Paul takes a lot of pains here. He does this in almost all of his letters. Gives a little bit of his resume and defends himself against some of his detractors and positions his own role in the early church next to those of Peter and um, John. Those are apostles. This is actually not the disciple James that he's talking about. This is Jesus's half-brother, who you might remember called Jesus crazy more than once. Happens twice in Mark chapter 3. Then after Jesus appeared to him, after his resurrection, James became, as Paul says here, one of the pillars of the church. But in order to make his argument, Paul reminds them that the gospel did not come from people wanting to impress other people. 
but through Jesus and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Grace comes to us through Jesus. The word grace is a pretty basic word, but it means anything but a small or basic thing in the New Testament. It means gift. And we have to be really clear about this, and this is going to sound simple to you. This is a church of Jesus Christ. The gift of God is Jesus. And there is no other. There is no adding to that. There's no work on our part that can grow that gift. And it is essential that we get that right, or we will put ourselves into a mental and spiritual bondage if we believe Yes, the grace of Jesus saves us, but I need to do this religious activity or ceremonial move in order to merit something before God. That may sound like odd religious language to you, but it is the worst kind of bondage available to a human because you're ultimately believing that you're saving yourself. The Corinthian church was... Uh, in the way they lived, subtracting from the message of the gospel, the people that came after Paul were adding. They were adding ceremonial uh, rules to the many churches. Galatia is an area, not a city. They were adding ceremonial rules and saying, you're a Christian if you put your faith in Jesus and... And Paul uses some of the harshest language available to him to say No. And Galatians is essential to us because we have the same tendencies to fall into thinking that our religious activity will merit something before God. And religious activity is important. This is how we let our minds and our emotions and our lives and our obedience be grasped by the gift of Jesus and then act like it in the world. But the religious tendencies that we have, and perhaps if we listen to voices like those who came after who came after Paul would lead us to think that they merit something before God. Grace to you through Jesus who will not be reduced or added to. The New Testament books of Colossians and Ephesians are a little bit like um, Galatians in that people were teaching things that Paul wanted to correct them on but not as aggressive is this. Uh, this is a little bit why, uh, this is similar to the reason that the church has held councils over the years. After Christianity ceased being illegal in the fourth century, the church started meeting together. Some people like to say the Bible didn't come together until the fourth century, and that's not true. The 27 books that we call the New Testament were being passed around in the first century, but because it was illegal, they weren't bound like this, and because they didn't have printing presses. And they were still sifting through some letters. They're like, is this useful? Is this not useful? Paul probably wrote the Corinthians four times. Why don't we have those four letters? It's not because someone lost them. It's not because they put someone like me who loses things in charge of it. And they're like, shoot. Should have put someone more organized in charge of those letters. It's because some of the letters did not continue to bless the churches of uh, Asia Minor and the churches of Europe and the churches surrounding Israel. But the letter to the Galatians did... 
because so many were trying to add to the gospel, which makes it a non-gospel. Paul says, let him be accursed who preaches a different gospel. The good news is Jesus. The only thing that can free us into lives here is Jesus. Not Jesus plus religious activity. Not Jesus plus religious ceremony. Those things have value to help us, but they don't merit anything before God. Nathan and I were at uh, our church planting pastor and I were at Presbytery this weekend. Presbytery is a regional gathering of pastors in the EPC. And there were 10 exams. Four people coming in saying we want to go to seminary because we might be interested in ministry. Four transferring in from other denominations. And two brand new exams of people um, who are becoming, two men who are becoming pastors in the EPC. They take written exams on the Bible and on theology and the book of government and the history of the church and the nature of reformed tradition and the sacraments and the nature of the office of pastor. Then they take a committee exam. A good friend of mine deliberately tricked me in my committee exam in St. Louis, and I'm still upset about it. Because I could tell he paused. He flipped some names. And I was like, is he trying to trick me? He would never do that. He totally was. His name's Clay Smith. You can find him on Twitter and tell him that was unkind. <laughs> then after the committee exam, so you've passed the written exams, you pass the committee exam, then you stand in a room with about this many people. And they're all ruling or teaching elders, and they can ask you anything about the Bible, about theology, about the book of government. They asked one of the assistant pastors, if someone in the church wants to fire your lead pastor, how do they do it? And he got all nervous because he doesn't want to be fired, and, but he has to understand. When I was going through my exam, someone asked me to, to outline the book of Jonah. 66 books in the Bible. You've got to be able to understand all of them. And I outlined the book of Jonah, but I forgot to mention the great fish. The guy giving the exam goes, that was a good outline, except was there a great fish in there? And I go, ah, the gadol dog, which is the Hebrew for the great fish, because I was so nervous. The reason that we do that is if we do not represent Christ and Christ alone as being able and willing to save you from death into life, we're actually leading you astray and are worthy of being cursed. This is from Arthur's exam. The person with the selfie is the ruling elder named Lester. The guy behind him is the one they asked how would they fire him. His name's David. That's Arthur with the jacket who looks so happy because it took five years of study and preparation and examinations. And the reason that we do all that is because if we preach a different gospel, it harms. It leads people away from the only one who can save us from our sins and from the evil of this present age, which is freedom. And if we proclaim a gospel that includes things other than or in addition to Jesus, we have lost freedom and we have begun to put ourselves into bondage. And I, another reason that I wanted to read, Lynn to read the whole text is Paul is giving parts of his resume, which he does in most of his letters, does it for a lot of reasons. And if you're paying attention, you can see that indirectly he's helping them see that his striving 
as a passionate, zealous religious man was getting him nowhere. His desire to please others was getting him nowhere and is now gone. Do you know that that's one of the mundane offers of the gospel? You could worry less and less and less about what other people think of you. Doesn't that sound nice? Also reminds us that Paul was fully accepted by Peter and by John, by the pillar of the early church, James, Jesus' brother. And the false teachers who were demanding um, Jewish ceremony of the Galatian Christians were doing it in part so they could be, uh, so they could avoid persecution um, by some of, not all, of the Jews of that area. That's not weird. That's not illogical, what they were doing. But in doing so, they were creating a gospel that's not a gospel through bondage. To be a Christian, you trust Jesus, and now we're turning a gospel of freedom into a gospel of bondage. And we have this letter not because we're tempted by the exact same things as the Greek Christians who were in the area of Galatians, but because we have the same tendencies inside of us to add to the good news and change it from a message of freedom into a message of bondage. And then we lose. We lose joy. We lose peace. We lose love. Those are the first three of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 that we receive in this age even amidst the evil age, the evil that is around us in this age. And we're given freedom to avoid the alternatives to those things. I always have to turn and and look at the alternatives because no one ever taught me a song to the vice list in Galatians 5. You guys learned the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The only reason I can say it that fast is because I was taught the song. No one taught me the song about what I'm freed from. But that's such an important part of the good news and what we receive in Jesus. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. What's the first fruit of the Spirit? Love. Freed from using others to get our needs met into loving them and receiving love from them in return. We're freed into joy and away from idolatry. Jesus can actually give us peace in all circumstances, not the new car, or the different life, or the better shoes, or the success of our children. All good things that the world would convince us to rely on to receive what only Jesus has for us. Third fruit of the Spirit is peace, as opposed to enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. A friend at Presbytery was struggling with jealousy, told uh, Nathan and I about it yesterday, and it was so lovely because they were freed from it with less than 24 hours because that's what Jesus does. 
gives us a living argument to reject the ways of bondage in the world through trusting him and then being so thankful for what he did for us and then obeying him. In a moment, we're going to sing Your Grace is Enough. And I love this song. The message of Galatians is even more profound than that. His grace is everything that we need for life here and in the next world. And it cannot be added to or reduced. It is that good and perfect of a gift. Pray with me. Jesus, we do indeed trust you with our salvation and also with our guidance and hope in this life. Would you help us to trust you this week? Trust you as we avoid temptations of idolatry and division in relationship. As we avoid our own temptations to greed and uh, jealousy. And instead receive the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, and peace. Lord, as we leave this place, enliven our faith. Energize it. That we might pray and trust and be full of thanks and obey you as your agents of your gospel. Amen.